In part one of social justice, the Trojan horse, we looked at some of the terms associated with the social justice train and unpacked the meaning and some of the layers of this movement and how it galloped into and infiltrated the church. Today on Stop and Think About It, we will examine how this movement is currently causing division in the local church and how to combat this insidious doctrine using the only analytical tool God has given us, the Word of God, the Scriptures, the Gospel. Now let's take this time to stop and think about it. Hello? Hello, anybody home? I think, McFly, think. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. What were you thinking? I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Don't say anything now. Just think about it. You're listening to Stop and Think About It. A podcast for the Christian thinker. In a day when sound biblical preaching has been replaced by man-centered entertainment. And the church has become increasingly anti-intellectual. This podcast will encourage believers to think biblically and theologically. So please join me as we get ready to stop and think about it. Greetings, friends and foes, saints and sinners. Welcome to another episode of Stop and Think About It. I have with me Steve, the Brooklyn Berean. Hello. Glenroy, the West Indian wordsmith. Hello. And returning with us once again, special guest, Pastor Mark Grimaldi of Grace Reform Baptist Church, the man with zero intersectionality points. Greetings. And I'm your host, Phil the Sensei. Well, once again, this doctrine of social justice has come from outside the church and has come inside the church. And the main conduit of this is coming from many Christian leaders that have been taken captive by vain philosophies and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, we're not saying that all the leaders are heretics. No. But those that have espoused this doctrine have opened the door of social justice and are certainly in error. And many of them are dancing very close, though, to the heretical line. This is another gospel, and we must not hitch our wagon to this. The reason why this is so upsetting is the people who are now promoting this are people who have been faithful to the gospel for years. Yes. People that we, all around this table, read their books still. They have great books. They have great theology. But all of a sudden, over the last year or so, we're hearing this strange teaching come in, and these men are embracing it. And that's the problem. They're, these are smart men. These are not stupid men. They're very smart. Yes. And they're embracing this, and that's what makes it so troubling. Yeah, and, and we even struggled along the way with how to put this together and what issues to cover within it. But we felt uh, convicted in our heart that we needed to tackle this on this podcast. Yeah, and and like I said, these are men we've we've looked up to. We've read their books. We we would align with them on ninety percent. We we thought before this, and you know, but how did this happen? I think we discussed it last podcast about it's the way it got in was these racial issues. That's the big like Trojan horse. That's the part that got us. 
Now, Steve, you have a couple clips you were going to play today because, you know, we don't want to just talk about it in the abstract. We, we're going to do the opposite of what they do, where they just say it's a massive problem in, 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 in this church. We're going to specifically listen to some of these leaders and what they say and then talk about whether it's true or not. And they do that, right, Glenn? Yeah. So you hear this uh, narrative. There's this great problem of uh, systemic racism in the church. And we say, where? <laughs> Where are they? And they give me one pastor, one church, one name, so we would all agree and line up and go there and say, hey, you can't do this. But they don't name names because yeah. they don't have any names. It's a straw man argument. Yeah. It's happening somewhere. Right. And you, you want to play that clip from Mark Dever? Absolutely. And by the way, before you play that, a straw man is setting up a premise that's faulty or stretched, and then you attack, you attack it, but it's actually not honest. Yeah, the so, dis- disembodied argument. So this is Mark Dever at ShepCon 19. I'm sure everyone is aware of that conference. And this is some of the comments that he said that Glenn wants to address. So, John, a very practical pastoral example. When when I was talking to one family in our church and they were explaining to me what it was like for their their African-American, for their two sons to get their driver's licenses in Illinois. Uh, And the, the mom was explaining to me that when they got their driver's license, they had a very serious conversation. They sat them down in their living room and explained, son, this license could get you killed. And they didn't mean because of driving, you know, fast and the kids didn't drink. It's because you could be shot if you don't do exactly what you're told. They weren't on TV. They weren't on CNN. This was a Christian family in their living room with a matter of utter seriousness that it's parents loving their kids. I've got family after family after family after family that with no malice, not trying to do anything politically, recounts their experiences like that. So that's the world that I live in as a pastor. And I think the Christian gospel has tremendous resources to learn from and to help and to push and to, to help us as a whole understand things like that, listen to each other, and as our church covenant says, bear each other's burdens and sorrows. So that's interesting, right? This clip. I mean, who who could be against that? Who you know? But but I but I have some things that I can that I can have a contention against. I have issues with one. He talks about one family that he met. Then he mentions family after family after family. Right? It's very vague. <laughs> you know how pervasive is it? Is it happening all the time? It's very hard to impeach this because, as a black man. I understand that there is going to be some racial tensions. I understand that there's, you know, there's a lot of things about police shootings. But I'm telling you, I have a son. And my biggest danger is not going to be that he's going to get shot driving. There's economic issues before that. There's issues of, you know, is he going to be um, following the, the, the dictates of Christ? And I think this, this is taking a very complex, broad issue and, and it's making it down to one specific issue. Now, I sympathize with what he's saying about this family that he talked to, but we should not be making scriptural decisions based on one family or one perspective. Now, Mark, like, you know, I want to, you know, you're a pastor, you're dealing with these kind of issues every day. You know, let's say you have someone in your church that's dealing with a uh, pedophilia or something like that, and it's some kind of danger. And let's say one of the, the, the members of that family was raped. 
Now you have to be sympathetic to that rape thing. Now, are you going to make a whole doctrine about rape? No, you're not going to make a whole doctrine about it. Like you said, you're going to try to address the issue with that one family. Certainly going to be sympathetic, uh, but you're not going to cast a lot out and say that this is a common thing and, and, and throw it at any, uh, any group of people and say, okay, well, these kinds of people may do this. Um, and it really comes down to, uh, Glenn, uh, that to me, the church here or, or Mark Dever or Nine Marks have seemed to have bought into the, the media narrative um, even that, that this is a common thing, that, that every day police are, are shooting black people. or um, there, there are over 700,000 police officers in the United States of America. Mm. We only hear of, uh, on the media, we only hear of the few, a handful of incidents where individuals were shot or killed, and some of them, to be honest, some of them were justifiable. Some are not. Are, are there racist police officers? Yeah, there are. But we don't want to, to cast that uh, against all of the police officers in all of the country uh, and, and declare that that's now that automatically that everyone is just is racist in the police force and we need to be afraid for our children. And I would argue the reason why it's so explosive and such a, a, a visceral thing when it happens, it's so rare. Hey, Phil. Yeah. Was your father a police officer? He was a police officer. Was he a racist? No. Who did he marry? He married a Puerto Rican woman called that I call mom. <laughs> you know, I had my best friend Evans in my house and he ate with us. Uh, I mean, come on. He's, he's from Africa, correct? He, he's from Kenya, yeah. where uh, Pastor Mark visited. Yeah. You know, and what's funny is, again, there's a strawman argument here because you're taking um, the DMV license and now that becomes a target on the head of every black person. That's a straw man argument. How do you do that? Very quickly, when I was in Bible college studying for the ministry, a friend of mine had Crohn's disease. And so he wanted to go two towns over. And I foolishly drove him two towns over because his doctor was there to a hospital over there. And I took another guy in the car with me, a Caucasian guy that had the biggest afro I've ever seen in my life. And uh, my other friend, he happened to be black, and he was killed over in the back seat. And I'm flying down the road. And so what ha what happened when I was flying down the road? I saw some Christmas lights with no presents, but I was greeted by the police. And I had to throw the keys out of the car, and they threw us up against the side of my vehicle. It was a white car with New York plates, and they pulled a gun out. And the gun was pointed at my head from a distance. And I couldn't even ask a question. I was told, you know, shut up, pipe down, da-da-da. And the guy who had Crohn's disease, he was like falling on the trunk of my car. And he was being yelled, get up, get up, get up. And he said, pastor, you know, we're from the Bible college. We're studying to be pastors. What did we do wrong? And the officer said, oh, yeah, pastor, what if I told you three guys, three guys in a white car with New York plates just robbed a bank? And my heart just fell into my feet and because i realized we, i wasn't being pulled over for speeding per se i was being pulled over because we fit the description as minimal as that description was that we robbed the bank so what are the cops doing they're doing their jobs we could have been per se the ones you know that robbed the bank and so they're going by the information that they have, I can't fault them for that. But what did I do? I didn't yell at them. I said, yes, sir, you could check my vehicle. You could search it. And I was respectful toward them. Why? Because God has given them the authority to uphold law. And we were seen as breaking the law, even though they weren't right in it. Now, what people do is they take all cops and they throw them under the bus. And we can't do that. 
And Steve, we have a clip that we listened to about a pastor who was fearful to walk down the street in his own neighborhood. Steve, give us a little background about this pastor and about this clip before we play the clip and respond to the clip. So the pastor's name is John Unwachekwa. And look, he's probably a great guy, loves the Lord. But here he was asked to speak at a racial reconciliation conference. Now, this is during the time when those police officers in Dallas were shot and killed. And so he recorded this. It's a pre-recorded video that they played at the conference. And this is how he opened up the conference. I just want to start off and just share that uh, this week has been incredibly just difficult and frustrating for me on so many levels. I found myself conflicted with all types of emotions, right? from, from anger to sadness to just deep like hurt and like fear, right? To be, you know, a large African-American man that lives in the inner city of Atlanta and to just fear that if I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time and there is a mix-up here, that there's nothing from my appearance that distinguishes me. So, Phil, how would you respond to that? I mean, I would respond to that first with Scripture. (laughs) (laughs) Psalm 20 verse 7 says some trust in chariots and some in horses but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God there's many verses that says that God is our shield shields protect pastors as pastors I'm a pastor we have to realize our calling. Our calling is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. It doesn't say go into all the world except if you're afraid and preach the gospel. God is with us. Who can be against us? So we cannot be afraid as pastors. I'm putting my trust in the Lord. I'm not putting my fear in what I look like and not putting fear out there as to who might oppose me. Now, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall be persecuted, right? That That's just a reality of living for and preaching the gospel. And so he says like that's absolutely going to happen. And so if I'm supposed to get beat up or punched or kicked or killed that day, like that's going to happen because God is sovereign. Even if I stay in my house, it's going to happen. Like there's no way for me to stop it. So I need to just go out and obey God. And I cannot be fearful um, because of my height, my skin pigmentation. I must uh, absolutely trust in the Lord because how can I go reach my community for Christ if in fact uh, I'm afraid? Now, Let's get specific with the police. Yes. Right. Romans chapter 13, verse two and four says this. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Who has appointed the police to be the authorities? God. Absolutely. And who and those who resist will incur judgment. So who resists the police normally? People that are obeying or disobeying the law. Disobeying. Absolutely. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. Who are the servants of God? The police. The police are God's servants. We're not saying they're Christians. We're not saying they're pastors. We're saying they're servants 
in the context of Romans 13 as an authority figure. But if you do wrong, be afraid. So when are you to be afraid? When you do wrong. And there's a lot of talk about police brutality. What about civilian brutality on police? Oh, that's, right? that's a dime a and dozen. And so when you start mouthing off to the cop, when you start disobeying orders, the cop is a human being too. Yes. And he gets scared for his life saying, okay, I'm dealing with someone who's, who's, who has a problem here. Yes. And so who has the gun? The Usually cop. the guy who has the gun wins. Yeah. So if you want to go up against a guy with a gun and act arrogant, you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. He knows gun foo and you're exactly. going to lose. Exactly. So, but what kind of message does this pastor give to Christians about cops when he speaks like this? about fearful walking downtown Atlanta being a black man. There are a few problems with this. Number one is 58% of the Atlanta, the police department is black. Yes. 37% is white. He's probably going to get a black cop pull him over rather than a white cop. But does that mean the 37% of the white cops should be feared? Are they racist? And so he's making a statement insinuating that he, as a black man, should be afraid of the cops because cops are racist against blacks. And I would say shame on him as a pastor for putting that out there. That was irresponsible. Yeah, because we have a police officer in our congregation, and we have another guy who I believe is going to go to school to be a police officer as well. Um, how does that police officer feel? Because now, does that does this pastor have the heart in mind that he wants to share the gospel with the cops? Because I want that cop to come to know Christ and I want that cop to be my brother or sister in Christ. But if you're looking and saying that cop is the enemy, look at the color of his skin. How can that pastor have a heart to want to reach that cop for Christ? He's afraid of the cop. And this falls into the area of privilege. So listen to this. I looked at some of his Twitter feeds. He says, when we use the word privilege, we use it as an indicative how things are, not necessarily an indictment. You're a bad person. Then he says this, privilege equals getting behind the wheel of your car this morning and not being nervous. Listen, one more. He says, privilege is living with the feeling that police equals safety. Everyone doesn't have the luxury to have that feeling. Why wouldn't someone have the luxury of feeling like the police are a safety to them? If they're doing the wrong thing. Exactly. Speeding, taillight out, uh, took a wrong turn, took a U-turn where they shouldn't have. So basically he's using this area. Here we go. We're putting back to groups again, right? Group so thinking. cops are in a group that you should be afraid of. Ah, right? nice catch. Yeah. And so what he's doing, he's putting all cops. There's 700,000 cops, as Mark said. Wow. How many instances do we see of police brutality? 700,000? No. 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 They're very rare. They're, like someone said, they're like shock attacks. They happen. There are corrupt cops. There are. But they're rare. Yes. But this pastor is buying into the narrative of the media that if your skin is black, you should be scared of police. Anyone who's pulled over by the cops is going to feel... It, there's anxiousness yeah. you're not like, okay hey, Bob, hey billy bob yeah. how are you doing you know so, saw you at the barbecue yesterday no everyone's like what did i do am i okay do i have my license is everything together i've been pulled over a lot of times and i usually was wrong i either have my lights off or i didn't or there's a broken tail light or some other situation i spoke politely i gave them the information sometimes they gave me a ticket sometimes they didn't but all i had to do was just listen respond so i'd say in that conversation hey 
be respectful. You know, these people have a weapon. They have a gun. Anybody, white, black, in any situation where there's a gun involved and there's a police officer, you should be respectful and answer them. But to take it to this other level, I think, is is disingenuous from a pastor to yeah, really and, go. And so, and so what happens if I do what some young teens are being trained to do, yell at the cops and da-da-da? Then what happens if I get shot? I mean, what did I gain? I gained nothing. A bullet. I gained a bullet, right? And And now there's a funeral. And even if the cop is wrong... You know, I'm not coming back. But, and here's the thing. Like you said, they're making this out to be this big issue. But so he said the family lived in Illinois. Supposing that family lived in Chicago. Do you think that black parents in Chicago are more worried about their children getting shot on the street by other gang members or by police in a car? There you go. Right, now, now, once again, my son lives in Chicago. So I go visit him. I stay as far away from that as I possibly can. My biggest fear is him getting shot by who? By other black people in that neighborhood. I, I'm not as concerned about that. Now, once again, I'm not saying that there isn't areas and certain places where where there should be a concern about white racial issues. But I wouldn't I wouldn't apply that to all cops. I wouldn't apply that to police officers. I would say this is an issue of this human nature. Um, and I'm like I said, there are certain neighborhoods that. I'm, I was warned as a young black man, hey, there, where there's other black people there who have guns and there's shootings all the time, don't go there. That's mm-hmm. a bigger fear, I would think, in the black community than a white cop shooting me because I'm driving with a broken taillight. And, yeah, and Vody Bauckham uh, did an article here called Thoughts on Ferguson. He was called an Uncle Tom and everything like that. And he said, what about all the black on black crime? Nobody's speaking about that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's blue on black and that is ballooned up mm-hmm. to a degree that, that is like every person who puts on blue is, sh- you know, that is white is shooting someone who's black and it's always unjustified. We don't want to get too lost on this. The point is, the ultimate point is, this is how it got in there. This is an issue, even amongst us, we were being very careful with. And once you set up this premise, then it becomes a talking a discussion. And once it becomes a discussion, we le- it leads to things like, hey, Mark, white privilege. What's that? Yeah. yeah with white, and white privilege um, is, there's an assumption that I have to, that I have to, um, assume from day one that because of the color of my skin, I have certain advantages uh, in life. I, sh- I could be able to get uh, accepted to certain schools or jobs or whatever it might be in life. I'll, I'll be looked at in a more favorable way because of the color of my skin. Um, when actually, believe it or not, today, it's, it's actually the reverse because they're trying to over, allegedly overcome white privilege. There's a lot of things that have been put in place for minorities to get positions uh, as policemen and in colleges and so on. Uh, so it's not. Uh, it's actually the very opposite today. It's the most advantageous time to not be white uh, in our society today. But because you have the zero intersectionality, right? I have no intersectionality. I'm I'm at the bottom of the. At the, <laughs> the and, and, and and look, and what is that? What is the heart of, at the heart of that? This redistribution, right? It's 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 restorative justice. It's going back in time to make up for yeah. past injustices. And and it's not helping the black community at all. Um, when this whole idea of 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 uh, white privilege of recognizing white guilt. In fact, there's a book I'll just just to recommend as well. There's a book written by a, by a black man, a good a good uh, man who is name is Shelby Steele, uh, and it's called White Guilt. And he really just addresses this whole topic uh, very well. And uh, and it's not helping the black community because what's happening is. Um, that the we this whole idea of reparations and trying to throw money into these communities it's not helping people 
in these communities gain dignity or integrity, be able to work hard to embrace the Americanism that that's positive, that's good. Uh, and instead, they're just depending upon, in, in fact, they're slaves in a sense, because they're depending upon whites to, to lift them up, to give them more, to give them more advantages, to make it easier to get into certain schools, rather than enable them to work for it uh, and to, to build their integrity and so on. So it's actually they're having the very opposite effect. And the more money they put into these communities, you look at the look at Detroit and Chicago and these places, okay, the more money they put into them, they're no better. And, and they're worse when you just give them the free ride. In Baltimore, they had billions of dollars invested. Yeah. And it's still, it's infested with, with all this crime and everything that's going on. Um, Steve, once again, we're talking about it. You know, we don't want to make it look like we are mischaracterizing these people. Do you have you have a clip on where um, Matt Chandler, I think, was talking about white privilege? I have grown up with this invisible kind of bag of privilege, this kind of invisible toolkit that, that I can reach in there at any given moment and, and have um, this type of privilege that a lot of other brothers and sisters don't have, don't possess. And, and so what happens when you have my upbringing and even my current reality um, it, is that you're forced to, if you're not careful, if you don't let the gospel kind of purify your heart, if you don't lean on the word of God to shape your understandings, uh, you, you begin to judge harshly those who, who can't quite get to where you are. And you will begin to see that getting people to where you are is what's normative. And so if I could just kind of lay it all out there, what I'm talking about right now is white privilege. And so I listen, I and I know some of you are already reaching to kind of click out. Nothing makes Anglos more angry than the idea of white privilege. But let's just talk for a second. If you'll give me just, just a second. Um, so white privilege isn't overt racism, right? Instead, it's just this unique kind of experience of life in predominant culture. So again, let, let's go back and talk about it. Growing up throughout your history books, if you learned anything other than white people built and made America great, white, it was during the month of February, it was condensed, and it was kind of an, a millimeter of depth of really what other kind of ethnicities contributed to what's now modern day uh, America. And, and even if you are, and then when you open up your newspaper or you grab a magazine, you're going to see Anglos portrayed mostly in a positive sense, right? Um, if you go to buy your kids toys or go to buy them a little book, it's going to be pretty easy to just find kids that look like them on the cover. So we don't know what it's like to have to look around Barnes and Nobles for 15 minutes trying to find a book about a little girl growing up that looks like our little girl or like a little boy growing up that looks like our little boy. Like we've never had to struggle with that. We we don't get anxious every time we open up a newspaper about how we'll be portrayed. We, we don't. Th- these are these are aspects of it's an invisible air that we breathe, the type of lens that we wear. So what happens is when things blow up, we can look at African-Americans or Asians or um, Hispanics. And, and because of the lens, lenses in which we we wear and how we've been shaped by this invisible force, we tend to expect, why can't they just? Why won't they? And what we're saying in that moment is we're harshly judging and we're expecting, if they would just look like us, if they would just do what we've done, then, then none of this would happen. And it's a really kind of terrible judgmental place to sit. And so what we want is we want the truth of God's word and the beauty of the gospel to wash over us. We don't need to feel bad uh, about our experience in the predominant culture. We just need to be aware of it so it doesn't shape how we interact with the world around us. We know that when all said and done, there are sons of Adam and sons of God. 
right? There are those who have sinned and are outside the covenant promises, and there are those that have been bought by the blood of Christ and are inside the covenant promises. So that when all said and done, there's the race of Adam and the race of Christ, and we're going to identify with the race of Christ regardless of skin color. And so what we want is we want to live in such a way that shows that we understand that God has brought together in Christ men and women for every tribe, tongue, and nation on earth, every ethnicity, every language, every culture, and has created a new culture of mutual submission and joy in the differences found in one another as it rounds us out more as the people of God. There is so much there to to kind of unpack and to have a opposition to. Um, I guess I'll start it off by my son's favorite fictional character is Spider-Man, who's a white kid dressed in a spider suit. From Queens. So it's not a struggle for me to go through Barnes & Noble to find someone that matches my... He, he's just a kid. Children don't see it the way that he's describing it. They see it as, I want a young person as a hero. That's it. They're this color, looking for a color. I'm I'm lost by that. Um, so he doesn't have to go for Black Panther. No, no, no. It, it's <laughs> all it, black kids don't have to like look yeah, at Black my, Panther. My, my son likes Spider Man, and I could give him twenty Black Panther toys. He's gonna like Spider Man. <laughs> honestly, my my first thoughts about the first half of that clip is what color is the sky in Matt Jamla's world? I'll be honest, I. I can't relate to that in all in my growing up in any sense or in the reality of where we are in this day and age. Um, the, the second half of it to the end, I'm saying, yeah, we agree with that. Uh, it was the straw man, like you said before, straw man argument. He set up this whole thing and then he said, and this is what we should be doing. And we're saying, Matt, we agree with the second part, but where are you getting all the, the, the nonsense and invisible stuff in, in the first part? Oh, well, I agree with you a little bit on the second part, but he ends it by saying, God wants us to be one man with our diversities. Okay. And so he lost me there. Sure. With We're with him. We're one man. We're, we're, we're trying to get Christ, away from yeah. these other things he's describing. But then he says in our diversity, uh, I, the only thing we're diverse in is our sin from my, my perspective. And like, once again, I, I'm not saying that we don't have differences, but those differences, what is that going to matter when, when, when we go to, to, to live with Christ? Yeah. It, it just it seems like a very short-sighted view of, of of what the real issues are yeah i i think that matt chandler really contradicted himself like so many times he says uh don't sit in a judgmental place uh that's exactly what he's doing he's sitting in a judgmental exactly. place and we did a podcast about do not judge absolutely and then he says the gospel washes us uh, yes, the gospel washes us and the gospel needs to wash half of what he just said because none of it comes from the gospel. So the parts that he said that are in agreement with the gospel, we agree with him wholeheartedly. Amen. But the parts that he said that are not in agreement with the gospel, the gospel needs to wash all that away. So I would not promote uh, a Matt Chandler for people to listen to, you know, at this point, um, because they would have to weed through what's true and false, true and false. And if somebody doesn't have discernment or they're young in the faith, that's going to be a real problem for them. I'm going to point them to other guys like uh, Pastor Peter Nicotra. Now, Mark, Mark, so he made another assertion in here. He talked about how because we don't, we haven't lived the experience of the other, and even me, I, I don't know necessarily what you did, went through when you were growing up, that I then cannot speak to solutions. So 
basically like for example a solution would be work hard so how do you like once again we have to deal with these issues like what he's saying is not all wrong right and that's what makes it dangerous right right so 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 you're saying to me now i'm a, a black man and i'm telling you my my issues how would you advise me or like what's i don't understand what would change for example if you say if i say i don't have a job and you say hey got a job work hard you'll get yourself financially straight I don't know. Like I'm, I'm confused. By and, the I, and I'm going to use the scriptures to to inform you about that, about the importance of work, the integrity of work. Um, but the, the, what makes so this, work is not a racially not, charged <laughs> issue. <laughs> no, but what may, what makes it really a problem too is he uses this nebulous language about this invisible reality. How do you even touch that? This invisible reality that's there. Like what uh, are we looking for? Another spirit is what yeah, he's talking about. Yeah, it's it's absurd. I mean, you listen to uh, Brother Steve's testimony, what he gave before in, in the first program, um, what he had said about his background. How um, how do I identify with that? And uh, you know, it's it's absurd to to uh, make that. I have never been beaten up by white people. You know, and so so you you went through a much rougher childhood than I went through. I, I can't look at you. It was my s- white privilege that gave me that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna talk about a little bit about black privilege, right? So I guess I'll talk about that, so no one can cast aspersions on you guys. But you know, uh, we had a black president, right? Obama's children by, by ethnic. Yes, his mother right. was as Caucasian as Caucasian. Right, but he only identifies with the black part. Right, and it's okay. all about what you identify. Colin as. Powell was his mother never lived. Was the first Secretary of State. We had uh, uh, we, we had Condoleezza Rice who was also a Secretary of State. We had we had, we have we have all these people in positions of power that you can see. I'm sorry, when I was growing up, we had the Cosby Show. We had all these black shows. Actually, now in this culture that we're talking about, we have less shows that I can watch and say, hey, you know, this makes me be proud to be a black man or a black woman because everything is about basketball and hip hop. And, you know, we, we what happened? What about the Cosbys? You're telling me you're t- growing up in a society where you couldn't see representation. We had it. Now we really don't. So. Would we say Obama's kids have black privilege? Yes. Would we say Colin Powell's kids have black sure. privilege? Yes. Right? What about Michael Jordan's kids? Sure. So, I mean, to, they're not applying the same standard on both sides of, of the issue, if you will, or the issue at large. It doesn't fit the narrative. By, by, it doesn't look, fit the narrative. Right now, I have a better chance of getting into Harvard than any one of you yeah. here. Because there's a quota that requires they have to let in a certain amount of black people. So so now grades do well, matter then, to a certain extent. To get a job, I, I have a leg up because they have to hire a certain amount of minorities. If We've talked about this um, outside of the podcast, Steve. If, 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 if you're a white person in, in black Harlem, you're at a disadvantage automatically. It, it, it's 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 dynamic. It's not one way all the time and in all situations. Yes, well, and, I did. And, and this statement makes it seem like it's only one way all the time. And if I was in a, if I was in a community or in another country, let's say like I said, I was in Kenya, and and I'm in the the local mall, um, I'm probably not going to find a lot of dolls that look like me. You know, and when when there's a majority, it just by nature, you're going to sell what sells, and it's what. And so that's what's reflected in the community. It doesn't mean that they're racist or they're against me or anything like that. It's just that's... Let, let me go to China and try this. Exactly. I don't see enough black... It's like, no, this is, this is Asia. This but is what the about way. this? In America, when Asians are applying to schools and they look at their grades, they're whipping everybody. And so they get points against them 
yes. to keep them from succeeding because That's they right. have an advantage because they study hard, exactly. right? And they, they their they, families push them exactly. for grades. No. But guys, do you know what the biggest demographic ethnic group that is leading everybody financially in every kind of category? Nigerians. Wow, really? And, wow. and so a country that's systematic, <laughs> systematically racist, how are they doing better than every other group? Because they are not indoctrinated to think they're... I think it's racist to say that we're somehow behind automatically. Yeah, and so when you look at uh, the the Asian population that is kicking everyone's butt... And in Nigerians. Academ- in, ...in academia, um, how come nobody's saying, well, what about them? Because... It's only racist when something uh, is perceived as uh, unfair or unbright. But would we say, well, that's not fair. This group is getting such good grades. Well, no, it's because they're not part of the dominant culture. Right. They're, they're part they're, of one of the oppressed groups. Asians were oppressed. Just, right. just like how women are minorities, even though they're 51% of the population. Ooh, what, what kind of math is that? <laughs> 51% minority. How does that work? I, but I I'm like what sure. Pastor Mark said. Right, and you can expound on this. Why is this not part of the narrative? Yeah, it's not because of, it's not part of the narrative. Because it, first of all, again, we we get into the political agenda of it. Um, in politics, it's not going to win you votes if you're a Democrat. Let's just be honest about it. Um, Democrats want to control the the black population, and they want to get them to to vote for them. And so they, um, what they're going to do is they're going to try to make them feel like they're the oppressor, uh, the the oppressed. They're the ones who are being abused. We need to give more money, and so on. And in reality, they have no concern for the for the welfare, or the integrity of of the the minority population. It's all about votes. Yeah, yeah, and I, and you know, I think we have a clip about that about um, a church leader talking about. You know, one issue voting and things like that. Um, do you but, have that clip, Steve? Yes, I do have that clip. But as a Christian, should our vote be based on what's going to be good for me or mm, what's going to no. be in line with the word of God? Amen. Amen. That's Could I vote something that I know might not be good for me? I might miss. Like, so if I, I have a student loan and I would love uh, Trump would say I'm forgiving all student loans. I would as well. Right? But Bernie <laughs> Sanders is promising that. Would I vote for Bernie Sanders for the purpose of getting my student loan forgiven? No, not, not that would be a very selfish thing because I'm only thinking about myself now and not the good of the majority. Amen. So as a Christian, when I go to the voting booth, I need to look at the word of God and say, okay, how what best glorifies God? They all have issues, they all have uh, areas that we don't agree with, but how can I vote biblically? And look at it without thinking, how is this going to benefit me? But how is it going to glorify God? Yeah, so we have to go back to our podcast on a Christian worldview. You have to look at everything, even politics, through a biblical lens. But so many people, they take their Bible and they put it on the right or the left of them. And they're looking through a cultural lens at politics. Why? The Bible doesn't speak to political issues? It certainly does. And it is the most accurate barometer it is the final arbiter is that the right word glenn yeah on all issues because politicians are preachers in one sense they're saying vote for me because i'm for abortion or i'm against it i'm for homosexuality or i'm against it i'm for reparations or i'm against it so they're putting their narratives out there and how do we say I agree with your narrative or not well which one most closely aligns to the scriptures now, that doesn't mean that we're voting for a pastor-in-chief. 
we're voting for a commander in chief. But which one is going to most closely align with and be a proponent of biblical truths? Yeah, and so we're going to play a clip, and this is Mark Dever talking about one issue voting. And what's funny about it, and before we play it, is it seems like he's saying that blacks vote this way and whites vote this way. So it's kind of like, sounds like cultural Marxism. Yeah. You're putting people into groups. Identity politics. Exactly. You know? So let's play the clip. Well, just, I don't have much time left to make people mad. So uh, what about one issue voting? I think one of the things that most separates white and black Christians in America is one issue voting. I think white Christians think this is the only moral way to approach voting. I think they've never thought of any other thing, generally. I think a lot of our African-American brothers and sisters realized like a long time ago that, well, there are going to be a bunch of different issues that are going to be affecting us. And I can vote for a candidate who I disagree with about some very important issues that I don't really think they're going to get anything done on. But I agree with them on these other issues that I think are going to help a lot of people. Can Even if you don't adopt that thought yourself, can you allow space for that in your church as a morally legitimate argument and option? One issue voting. And I'm not trying to say one issue voting is illegitimate. I'm saying I think that's clearly there is one way you can think through your vote and you can sort of champion that. But I think a lot of white evangelicals assume that's the only morally legitimate position or or only position that could be argued to have moral legitimacy. And I would, I certainly would like to question that. Wow. Wow is an appropriate response to that. Now, he says on the one hand, it's bad. On the other hand, it's okay, and we just need to open up our, our framework. What's, what's the, the framework, Glenn? But, what's the framework? But, what, but what's the one issue? Say it. What is the issue? What do you, what do you think the issues that our issues are? Abortion. Murdering Life babies. or death of a baby. <laughs> Family, yeah. gender, life. All, and, all, the, all those biblical things that are uncomfortable. And here's the thing. For. He's going to vote for something that maybe he won't change, like abortion, but he might do some things over here that'll help me out, help a lot of people. You're voting based on what am I going to get out of it? Okay, babies get killed. All right, that's great, but what am I going to get out of it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what if they take more money out in taxes, right, but they're still going to murder children? I'd rather them take more money out of my taxes than children getting murdered. Now, do I want money out of my taxes? No, I don't want to pay more to the government. Certainly not. But we have to really put certain things in the categories, if you will, saying, you know, God hates those that shed innocent blood. So, so, so Mark, let's, let's say, you're a pastor. You're dealing with this on a daily basis. What do you, how do you advise people politically, how they vote? I mean, how, how do you deal with this? Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, I think his whole, his, this whole premise of the idea of being a one issue is, is not true. It, it, is, it is a significant issue, and the most significant issue, I believe, is the issue of life and abortion. But everything, if, if I were to ask you, um, what, which, which party is, is pro-homosexual marriage, you would know the answer. Which party is pro this whole transgender uh, um, ideology and, and changing bathrooms in schools to let men and you know girls in, in, in uh, boys' bathrooms and vice versa? You would know what party that is. That if would I be would, the Democrat party. Yeah, and if I were to say what? to you, which party is telling you that we, it's okay to rob from Paul who's working his tail off to, to be successful and to give it to, to uh, you know, Tony who is surfing every day of his life and doing nothing. Yeah. Um, you, you know what party it is. So it's not, it's not one, the whole, 
the whole ideology of the Democratic Party is is problematic. Now, granted, there are certain areas we might compromise on um, to to push forward the more important matters like abortion and so on. But it's not just one issue by far. Yeah. And Steve, I, I like you've brought this up to me several times. Who was the party that really promoted slavery? It's the yeah. Democrats. And right. Jim Crow laws. Actually, they passed KKK? every single racist law That's right. unanimously with no Republican votes because the Republican Party was formed to fight. Slavery. And Frederick Douglass, who my school, that I, who the school I work in was named after, he was a, Repub- a Republican. Republican. Martin Luther King was a Republican. Mm-hmm. Most black people were Republicans. It's, it's, it's nonsensical. So who invented the KKK? It was the Democrat Party. It was their military wing of their party. Wow. To do what? To, to, to keep black people down, to string them up. Margaret it's, Sanger started Planned Parenthood to kill who? To weed out the... Uh, we the, spoke yeah. about that in other podcasts. Yeah, she to, called, what did she call black people? Human weeds. Human weeds. And now, now, I'm not saying, if you're a modern Democrat, that you need to be identified with all that stuff. The, ideologically, I say yes. But how can it be so selective? Right. You as a white person need to own every racist thing that's ever happened, but the political party who's trying to fix it doesn't own up to all the things that it did. Right. So they're saying you're guilty of all of these things, right? And we're guilty of nothing. You see, the social justice warriors, they cannot live up to their own narrative. They want people to have lived a pristine life. Last I looked, there was only one person that has ever walked this planet that lived a pristine life, and that was Jesus Christ. And that man showed implicitly that all men are sinners, that everyone has broken his commandments, and that all people in that respect are are, are not just because they're not just before God. So, so what you're saying is the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart, right? Absolutely, that's the problem. Depravity, and it's so it's so interesting. These clips that we're playing, they'll talk about all this other things, and then at the end they'll throw a bone out. Yeah, you know we're all in sin. Yeah, you know we all should get back to this godly thing. Why don't we just stay there? Because yeah. that is the real problem. For example, we, I was asking before about what, how do you advise people from different races? Well, I'm sorry. I don't think it's a racial issue to talk about the lack of fathers in a family. Oh, right? you're going to touch that? Yeah. You know, that's, that's a big problem in the black community. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't think that's a racially charged and we are misunderstanding. No. If we had more black fathers, we'd eliminate a lot of these problems. If you th- taught people how to be successful, how to w- not work hard, but how to work smarter in how they do things. If we group work together as groups to help each other rather than blaming the other group. We would solve a lot of these issues. These are not racial. This is not a. I, I we read an article where, and I think we talked about it before, where the the person was saying Ekamini Uwan. That's the person. That's the person. And in the article, she made a lot of assertions. But one assertion was biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. She made out a racial issue where she was saying, if. It's from European culture. And so when you're telling a black man and a black woman about biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, what you're doing is you're putting this European um, aspect on them. And I'm thinking to myself, so telling people to be respectful to their parents, to have respect for a woman, to marry one woman, to be faithful in the family of a woman is a European concept. So, so now they're saying... the. Even even biblical manhood training, developing people as in character issues or so or socially derived racial things. 
and it's they're losing us when they get they change the language and that's one of the dangers and i think if you think oh we're just talking about abstract things this is how it becomes a part of the of the church's culture where you can't even tell them someone hey be married to one woman be respectful and raise your family oh you're just talking white stuff yeah, if we, I was just thinking as you're saying that, Glenn, I'm saying to myself, if we only had a book that could help teach us about biblical manhood and <laughs> biblical womanhood, so we wouldn't have to run into this problem. <laughs> Man. We have 66 of those, I think. <laughs> <laughs> now, Steve, you have a clip of, what's her name again? Ekamini Uwan. I just have a hard time saying that. Yeah, it's okay. And uh, Steve is going to play a clip. You're, it's because you're a racist. That, I can't pronounce it either. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> but you, you're, you're black on the outside and you're angloid on the inside. That is true. <laughs> I think that's an evolutionary uh, term, by the way. But uh, Steve's going to play a clip uh, from her on where she focuses on that being white equates to being wicked. Because I, we have to understand something. Whiteness is, is wicked. It is wicked. It always means it's it's rooted in violence. It's rooted in theft. It's rooted in plunder. It's rooted in power and privilege, which we just saw two weeks ago with the college scandal. So I I mean I have receipts here. So the the goal for our white sisters is to rediscover your ethnic heritage. So I'm not pulling something away from you without telling you to replace it. So the goal for you all is to recover what your ancestors deliberately, right, discarded. So that means return to whatever that ethnic identity is. Is it, are you Italian? Are you Irish? Are you Polish? Are you Turkish? Whatever that, whatever that was, you have to do that work to find out what that is. Pull into that. Learn what, what that cultural heritage is. Celebrate that. It's going to be a lot. It's going to be a work on your part, but that is the work. The, the work is for you to divest from whiteness. And the work is also for people of color to divest from whiteness too. All right. And now we do that by. Not centering whiteness, but it means like like trying to actually begin to imagine a world where <laughs> where your whole identity is not bound to oppression, is not bound to uh, which which I think is hard to imagine because we live in a white supremacist nation. I, I mean that's that's dangerous. That's dangerous, man. I I have a lot of white church brothers, and I don't think of them as wicked. And part of the problem too is you're 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 equating wickedness with something that God has designed, right? God has designed white, he's designed black, he's designed olive, yellow, whatever color you want to get. Uh, And that's one of the big problems today. It's it's people are equating the the issue of of wickedness with the color of the skin, which we we didn't design the color, it was God. It's not the color of the skin, It, it gets back down to, again, the heart, whether it's racism, whether it's slavery, whether it's adultery, whether it's stealing, whatever it is. This sin issue is something that gets down to the heart of mankind because of the fall. And to make it a white issue uh, is really an affront upon God as creator. So aren't they embracing an old uh, Mormon theology? 100%. Right? What, what did Mormons teach about blacks? They were cursed. Right? Yeah. So here, black people were cursed with the curse of Ham. Right? Yeah, Was yeah, it? yeah. So now they're saying whiteness is wicked. Exactly. So it's no better than Mormonism with no. their teaching. You can't win in this kind of equation. Um, yeah, and 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 I think you, I think Phil, we talked about this outside of the podcast, and and you mentioned something like, why didn't Jesus attack Roman privilege? 
Yeah, why didn't he attack Roman privilege? For example, he talks about if a Roman soldier compels you to walk a mile, walk the second mile. Why did he, If he was being intersectional and social justice, he would have said, don't do it, fight back against the Roman oppression. Because only non-Romans were compelled to do that. Regular citizens weren't forced to walk and carry a soldier's armor. So there's an article on Nine Marks that I think touches on this, Glenn, right? Mm-hmm. And what, what is the name of the article? More Christian Than Black or White. And uh, disturbing article, right? Yeah, yeah. It was, it, was, it was tough to read this. And once again, once again, real quick before we even get started. Why is it only black or white? There's Asians. There's all these different ethnicities. And now it's just, it's insulting to everyone else. Yeah, he just skipped over every other ethnicity again. Just so 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 he, he had nine he had nine nine points calling out ethnocentric sin confessing ethnocentric sin fellowshipping widely and letting your people see it they heard the voice of the ethnic minorities next they gave a voice to the ethnic minorities they thought of a solution and leaving Acts six I went to highlight that Paul didn't scorn his Jewish culture or forget it but he knew he did know it. And going off of that suggestion, read with your elders, and lastly, pray about this. So he, he's basically giving us uh, nine suggestions how to fix this problem that I didn't know was a real problem. And what he said about white people, what do they need to do with their whiteness submitted to Jesus? Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> Can I read well, if, white, if a whiteness is wicked, then they, you would have to submit that to Jesus, yeah. the fact that he but made he, you that. He makes it, I want to look at number five. Glenn. You want me to read that? I can just yeah, read it. Can you read number five? So it's titled, Next They Gave a Voice to Ethnic Minorities. The deacons that were chosen were primarily Greeks who were, of the, who were the minorities feeling the sting of the unfair food distribution. The apostles gave minorities a seat at the table, authority to make decisions, address divisions. The apostles didn't run from these matters, nor let it distract them from teaching and prayer. They realized that the spread of the gospel and the preservation of the unity it brings is a uh, must Ethnic multi multi ethnic team sport. Why not listen to this talk by? Oh, and then it's a link to a talk by Tabidi yeah, we with don't your staff to to and discuss song. it. <laughs> and uh, this is like, but you know what? This is the show the verse kind of thing. Yeah. So he's saying that the apostles gave a place for ethnic minorities at the table. Go to the text, okay. Steve. So that's absurd. What? Because let's read Acts chapter 6, right? Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenistics arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, that's all the people that were there, and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore... Brothers, pick out from among you seven men of ethnic uh, minorities. Nope. Not in my version. Intersectional points. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and he goes on to say who he picked. So here, there's a problem, right? Some widows are being neglected and overlooked, right? So the apostles say, listen, we can't really deal with this, so what you need to do is pick out seven men among you. What were the qualifications of the men that they picked out? Full of the Spirit. Full of wisdom? Yes. What about skin color? 
It was absolutely not a factor. What about ethnicity? No, it didn't didn't say anything about right? that. And who picked them? The apostles or the people? People. The people, right? And so he said that the apostles gave a place to ethnic minorities at the table. That's absolutely absurd. The Adam, text had nothing to do with ethnic minorities. The qualifications were, for the qualification of a pastor, is ethnic minority a qualification? No. Neither for deacons. No. No. <laughs> no. So, and look, and even the premise is that the minorities were feeling the sting of the unfair food distribution. <laughs> no, the, the apostles couldn't deal with the influx of all the people. Right. And they weren't specifically ignoring the minority because by application, the apostles were racist. <laughs> the apostles were the white oppressors and they weren't just helping them. And then they appointed these minorities to deal with the minorities. And then that's not what that is saying. It was picked from among them. Yeah. Like, like, like Steve was saying. So it, it, it was not, that wasn't the problem. The problem was there's so many people that we cannot solve this issue. And the people that were being neglected primarily were the people who just came into the church, not the, the racial component or the ethnic component were that they were new. They were already helping widows and poor people, and now there's more widows and more poor people who were not immediately helped. Okay, so, get, let's get some more people. Yeah, and so what he's doing, he, he's reading the scriptures through the lens of cultural Marxism. Exactly. He's wearing the wrong lenses, and it affects everything we do. Who reads this and says, unfair food distribution? No. No one reads it only that way. Only if you come to it with that already in mind. That's the only way. What about the... I'm looking at the second one, too, and this is really throwing me for a loop. Confessing ethnocentric... Because I want to I do this. Where, where is that? Because we want to refer to people who are, who are going to read the it's article. In, it's in the same article. The, yes. So this article can be found on Nine Marks, and the name of it again, Glenn, is... More Christian Than Black or White. By who? Uh, Isaac the, Adams. Isaac, Isaac Adams. Adams, correct, yes. So the, and he's a pastor at Mark Dever's church. So here I am as a pastor wanting to to embrace these principles. Oh, no, and to, number and to, two, yeah. And, and to apply them to my ministry. And I look at number two. I mean, look at all of them. But number two, confessing ethnocentric sin. It says, in that same vein, brothers, look into your own life and your congregation's history to see if you are holding up whiteness. Again, I don't know how you do that, but or parts of it. So now there's parts of it and whiteness as a whole as necessary for entrance into your church. Now, I'd like to poll every single church and find one single church in this entire country, one sane church, evangelical church, that has had an issue with letting people enter the church because of of the level of whiteness that somebody embraces or not. What does this even mean? It doesn't have to have a meaning. And think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. So we're supposed to study our Bible every day. We're supposed to read, pray evangelize to the lost that are around us, you know, and try to live Christ-like and then take a little time out to go back to the history of Grace Baptist, to, to your church, to everyone's church, and try to see if we can find any racism that has ever happened in the church history and then repent of that. And then so we, we gotta, have to repent of yeah. what somebody did 50 yes, years ago. Yes. And then so, we have so, to remove that systemic whiteness, whatever that is, right. from the church. So if you're a member of a church, you got to go back and find out what they did and repent of that. Now, that doesn't sound sane to me let me just read this verse because i i just think that this paul hits a home run on this whole issue with this one verse romans chapter 8 verse 1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus so 
why? Uh, now, now, hold, hold on, Uh-oh. Phil. Are you interpreting that wrong? Because after all we just talked about, that doesn't make any sense. I didn't interpret anything. I just uh, read the oh, verse. Oh, you just read brother. it? Okay. That's it. No condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But what, but what if your church 100 years ago tacitly approved slavery? Right. Shame on them, but it has nothing to do with me. Yeah, I didn't do anything. What if your pastor, when he was three years old, took a black kid's toy away and he's white? <laughs> Yeah, let's let's build a time machine and go back and, and correct it. No, we can't do anything for that. So we can so we can Mark, we can overcome sin to God. We can God Jesus died. We can overcome all these other sins, but this is the one sin that we have to specifically repent of. Yeah, because the blood of Christ is not sufficient enough to to cover that particular sin. It's only sufficient for adultery and fornication and murder and stealing and all those kinds of lesser sins. But when it comes to this issue, uh, we have to go back and dig it all up, and we have to bring it up. And even though God forgives us for all things, um, we can't forgive each other for these issues. So, Mark, what about also when we're we, let's say we're supposed to constantly be repenting of our sins, correct? Yeah. So, do when you so is it possible? Do you sit there, right? Do you teach your congregation that they need to then look back throughout the day? And try to figure out what unconscious sins they, they accomplish and repent of those specifically. No, in fact, just just to just to say this, I have I have obsessive compulsive disorder. I have OCD, and, and I've actually um, years ago had had gone through a process in my own mind where I kept going back to try to dig up sins in my past to make wow. sure I confessed them, and and it was it was it was it was just completely destructive in every way Uh, and i finally had to come back to the point where i said no you know christ has forgiven all that to dig all that up and to go back in the past is counterproductive to the gospel Uh, and it's it's neglecting the fact that that christ's blood covers all of our sins i'm I'm glad you said that um when i first got saved uh i read this book by um charles finney charles finney's not good people Mm. and it was called breaking up the follow ground and what i had to do is write down and I get a notebook and write down every sin I could remember. And so I was there for about 20 minutes and I, I felt like I was going to hell now. I felt so depressed. I had to stop writing. I was like, this is ridiculous. And then I realized, wait a second. Why am I confessing sins that Jesus Christ oh, forgave amen. me of? Why am I confessing sins that I did 30 years ago when I got saved? All of my sins were forgiven amen. on the cross. Jesus paid it some or Jesus paid it all. Amen. And here is the thing we're hearing, right? White brothers and sisters are complicit in this issue, and there needs to be reconciliation. And it's not going to happen, not when black Christians, but when white Christians admit that they're wrong and repent of racism, even if they're not, and admit that they've been wrong. And this is the thing that's going on. And I thought, I don't know. Is it me? I thought we were already reconciled yes. by the cross. Ephesians and I want to play this two. clip. I want to play this clip by Thabiti Abinwili, who makes this point, and then I want Glenn to talk about it. If, if I could have every white evangelical understand one thing about racial reconciliation, I think it would probably be to have them understand and embrace what probably feels like to them, and in some ways is, their disproportionate responsibility to lead in it. Why do I put it that way? Well, I think it was Condoleezza Rice who said that the original birth defect of this country was slavery. 
And if that's true of the country, it's also true of the church. That despite a more sort of racially egalitarian beginning in many church communions, the church pretty quickly took the route of the culture in its acceptance of racial attitudes and white supremacy and slavery and later Jim Crow segregation and things of that sort, that the church did not go through those periods unscathed. And, and because the church, many in the church, not everyone, of course, but many in the church were, were um, active participants in that, I think it lies upon the church um, to, in the resources of the gospel, examine its heart, examine its culpability, if there is any, or at least examine its responsibility, right, in our generation, to chart a different path, a, a path more consistent with the gospel and the one new man that Christ creates in himself, in Ephesians 2, to live out the reconciliation, the peace that Christ has accomplished in his body on the cross, um, to discover at deeper depths that, that those are indicatives. Christ has already done it. And it's for us now to do everything to maintain the unity of the spirit and the, and the bond of peace and to embrace with joy the opportunity, the responsibility uh, and the resources in the gospel to lead out on that, to not shrink back in fear, to not um, coddle your hurts, to not be fragile, um, to take the risk of being called unpleasant things that you would rather not be called and, and don't think you are, to take the risk of rejection, to accept the risk of um, saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. Just own it. You're going to mess up. But there can't be any reconciliation, deep and lasting, uh, if, if my white evangelical brothers and sisters don't own this, and not, as a, not merely as a mercy to others, as a kind of benighted paternalism to others, but own it as a people who are complicit, like all the rest of us, and own it as a people who need that restoration themselves um, as much as the, as the others may need kindness from one another. So if I could ask one thing, it would be lean into it as, you, as, as Christ's calling upon your life in the same way that it's his calling upon my life. I want to just reference the verse that he pointed out from Ephesians, because again, there's truth and, and lies and error kind of mixed in with what he's saying. So in Ephesians chapter two, verse 14, it says, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore, thereby killing the hostility. And there's a big focus on Jew and Gentile here. And so I agree with the BD in one respect that this wall is broken down. We do, right? And we're, the wall is broken and we're living in it already. We don't need to try to like construct it and make it. And I feel in one sense, the BD is saying the wall is broken down, 
But then at the other side of his mouth, he's saying, no, the wall is still up. So make up your mind. Is it down or is it up? Well, the Bible tells us the wall is down. And how is it up? Where is this racial problem in the church going on? I mean, do you feel it, Glenn? Definitely not. I have a couple issues with this. Um, one is white evangelicals. Why Why even separate ourselves in that way? There's one body. We're not, you, second of all, he says that in the slavery times, Jim Crow times, we identify with culture, and which caused a problem. And your solution is to identify with culture again. <laughs> Cultural it, Marxism. It doesn't make any sense. Like Now culture is good. Now we should identify with culture because now we have the right path. Back then, we didn't have the right path. Why don't we just use the Bible, the biblical lens, period? Seems to always go back to that. Yeah. You know, why don't we just stick with what the Bible says? Now we're saying culture today is woke. So now we should listen to it. 50 years ago, no. That's where it loses me. Like Once again, I, I am not living in the reality that he's living in as a black person. If you want to be, you can be. And I know a lot of black people who are living in this reality because you, they are looking for these things. And so once again, we're going back to the past. We're going back to the past and we're saying we're many. He says many. Culpable. We're all. He even ends by saying white people need to recognize that we're all. Things. So if we're all doing it. Why are you picking out white people? Why, you know, white people. <laughs> but once again, every advantage or disadvantage comes from God. When Paul was thrown in jail... This is the same Paul that knows to be content in all circumstances. Did Paul say, oh, man, Roman privilege. Paul was a Roman. <laughs> that too. Was that his privilege sitting in jail? And what did he do when he, when he was in jail? He complained against the Romans, right? No, he preached the gospel. And people got saved. Even a jailer got saved. Now, I, I, got, I don't know if you guys know this, but as a black man, I, I, I have a I will admit there is a different reality. Is a different, but what I mean is it's a different focus. And so I'm going to tell you, you may not know a lot. Some people listening may not know this, but you probably try to figure out what is this anger? What is this anger towards the biblical view, the, 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 the white European view? And what you have to understand is growing up in Jamaica and different black churches, one of the issues that they had about slavery was they felt this is the accusation they have against us Christians is that, when they were enslaved, you're telling the black slaves, hey, there's another life. There's another eternal life. You know, and so what's happening to you right now, the slavery is not that bad. You would think, well, that's good advice. That's helpful. They're saying, no, no, no. That deterred us and kept us down and made them not fight, which elongated slavery, which made it last longer. So, so, so when we give that advice, you're thinking this is great advice. They're saying, no, 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 no. That's the way the white man kept us down for so long. Because if, if the black people realized that this life was all there was, they would fight and they would have been freed. And so when we're giving this advice now, and I'm thinking this is biblical, this is good advice. Hey, you, these are three men that I respect talking to me. A lot of people are hearing, well, this is why we were enslaved in the first place. And this is why we stayed enslaved. And so when they're telling you to go back in your history and go back and realize how you were culpable, they're saying you helped perpetuate slavery. I reject this view, but that's where they're coming from with this argument. And were there black people that owned black people in slavery as well? well to yeah. this day. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think on the... Uh just thinking podcast on an episode they spoke about that and i think it was the 1840 something census 
3,000 free black men own 12,000 black slaves. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. In America. Yeah. And, and without, it, without, without reducing the, right, the, the weight of what went on in our country and the, the mistreatment of blacks and slavery and Jim Crow, we, we all know that there, there was terrible things that happened there. But it's it, it, just, again, to separate this from it being just a white thing, um, we should consider the fact that what happened on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean as well. Um, in Angola, where a lot of blacks were sold into slaves. You had Portuguese involved with that. You had blacks from Angola selling their own into slavery. You had Spaniards involved in that. And in fact, um, out of all the slaves that had come over the Atlantic Ocean, less than 5% of them came to North America. Now, that's including Canada and the United States. Less than 5%. 36 point something percent were sent to Brazil. And and many of them were, were brutally treated. I mean, if, if it was bad here, it was even worse there. So again, without diminishing the issue of slavery under any circumstance, it was terrible. But it's not just a white thing. And also, and also, once again, this also this white privilege, white evangelicals, look back at your white history. This This drives me crazy. Mark, the Underground Railroad, who were primarily involved in that? Oh yeah, there were white people helping out. Yeah. You had to because yeah. you have you have these slave owners sending people to go find their slaves and bring them back. If you had a black house, that's the first house they go into. Yeah. You had to have a white household hiding them and saying, "Don't come in my house. You can't search here." That's how the Underground Railroad. Was. It wasn't really a railroad, and it wasn't underground. It was black people being moved through white houses. How can I look at Mark or Steve or Phil and from looking at you tell whether you were the slave owner who were a minority because you had to be rich to own slaves compared to the many white people who protected, helped, and and, and transported um, black people into the northern side where they would be freed. You can't tell from looking at someone like that. It, it's It's nonsensical. Let's say for a moment, let's say that we could trace somehow our lineage and yeah. find out somewhere down the road that my great, 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 great grandfather, whatever, was a slave owner. Let's just say that we could do that. We can't. Um, how does that make me responsible today for the sins of, of my great, 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 great grandfather in the past? How, how does that affect me today, automatically assuming that that's where I'm at? Ezekiel 18. So, Phil, read Ezekiel 18. So, Ezekiel 18, verse 19 says, yet you say, why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father when the son has done what is just and right and what has been careful to observe all my statues, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So question. The BD said that white people need to admit they're complicit in what happened years ago. Is that biblical justice, or is that social justice? That's social. That's social justice. Biblical justice says, I don't need to repent for what happened in the United States in the 50s, because I wasn't born in the 50s. Right. And so it's not my issue of sin that I need to be responsible for and repent before God. Now, I have my own sin that I need to be responsible for, and I have my own sin that I need, that I do need to repent before God. But one of my sins is not racism. I have other sins that I need to repent of. Racism just happens to not be one of those sins. And Steve, let's say a black man shoots a white person in, 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 in Harlem. I... It's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Still there. I I cannot speak on to what he did and why. Yeah. 
It, it's nothing to do with me personally. That's because we're both black. We right. could have went to the same school together. I still have no framework for me to, to confess the sins of what he just did. And that's and we go, we go back to group identity, right? Mm-hmm. Putting people in groups. And if you're part of that group, you're guilty. And if, you, if you're part of that group, you're the victim. If you're part of that group, you're the uh, culprit. Yeah, I mean, I had a young man that I train in my martial arts program, and he asked me to watch a show called um, "What They uh, When They See Us," and it was about the five uh, men in the Central, Central Park. Park raping. Yep, yep. And so the horrible evidence, what they did. The evidence came out that they were unjustly treated, and absolutely, it was horrific. Mm. And so I said, you know, I watched it, and I said, I agree. You know, if someone is not guilty. They shouldn't be put through the ringer like that. And so does racism lead to things like that? It does. And and we have no problem acknowledging that. And I said, you know, and then he listened to one of my sermons that I did on Sermon Audio called One God, One Blood. And he said, I really liked what you said about the fathers. He says, I couldn't agree more. He said, young black men need fathers in their life to exactly. show them the right way. Exactly. Now, I'm the closest thing this kid has to a father, and I love the kid. Um, and... Uh, I want to just mention something. Have you heard of this man named Lemuel Haynes? Yes. All right. Black Puritan. And he spoke about the transatlantic slave trade. And he posits this, that just as God did not uh, endorse polygamy, God worked through the lineage of what happened with polygamy to bring about the gospel. And so he says that God work through the transatlantic slave trade and it wasn't nearly uh, merely a historic accident but god used it for his honor and for his glory because some of the black people that were taken came to know christ when they came onto the shores of the united states of america now again treating people unkindly and all that we don't agree with all of that but god sent Joseph into slavery. This is what Joseph said in the book of Genesis. And it preserved God's people and Judah was kept alive. And who came through the line of Judah? It was Jesus Christ who came through Judah. And so with all of this talk about injustice, we have to see that the greatest injustice that has ever been perpetuated upon our world was done in Christ at the cross. We see a just man, Jesus Christ, was surrounded by those who committed injustice. And if you look at all the laws that the Jews broke and the kangaroo court that was had at the time to hang an innocent man upon the cross, God brought redemption to for his people through injustice and he saved his people from their sin through this and so we need to see this whole issue through a biblical lens Amen. that god brought the gospel that that the gospel came forth in the context of injustice and i'm saved because the romans and the jews joined together and unjustly put our savior upon the cross Amen. Amen. Phil, that's that's super powerful. I mean, I mean, there's no way to impeach what you just said. And I'm like, Mark, I, let's bring it. We're talking about racial issues. All right. So I have a question. And, let, and we're just going to I think we're going to to finish it up. We're going to jump from topic to topic. All right. Racial reconciliation or reconciliation with God. 
because because this is an argument where they're saying we need to be actively involved in racial reconciliation. What are your thoughts? Yeah, if we if we're reconciled with God, right, inevitably we'll be reconciled with one another. In fact, one of the things I say is about that I would written recently um, in a paper called Guilt by Association. Yeah, um, is that the, the greatest offense of racism and and slavery? Right is against God. Right, that's the greatest sin committed. It's not against those who were enslaved, as bad as it was against them. We're at war with God. That's right. It's against God. And if God forgives us in Christ for that and for all of our sins, whatever they might be, how can we not be reconciled to one another in Christ the same way? In other words, there's no issue with God. That's done. But now we're going to have issue with each other, right? And even in this sense, as we said, it's not even us directly. It's with supposedly our forebears, right, uh, as well. Um, so the greatest offense is toward him. It really is an affront upon God to say, no, we're not, this hasn't been dealt with yet. Yeah, you've been reconciled to God, which the greatest offense is toward, which my greatest offenses are toward, but we're not reconciled together yet, um, and we need to go back now and dig this stuff up. Is it the church's job to initiate racial reconciliation in the culture, no, no, that that's something that's as individuals certainly. If there's if there is, uh, if there is racism, which there is, right, and and uh, there's racial issues or people who have racial, uh, their their racial acts that they've committed, whatever it might be, we we need to certainly speak out against that as individuals and uh, and try to bring reconciliation to those who are caught up in those throws. Um, but as a church. Right, the primary mission of the church is to preach the gospel. Exactly, right? and so Jesus never went after Roman privilege. He no. never attacked even the institution. The Book of Philemon deals with a master and his slave. Ephesians talks about masters and slaves, and he says, "Forgive him as a Christian. Forgive him as yeah. a Christian. Not yeah. you're you're bad for being a, owning a slave to begin with, and so or you or you even have to not own him anymore. Yeah. You have to bring him back to the place where he's equal with you, yeah. and you know he doesn't even do that. No. And so, to no. Mark's point, when when the, uh, the letter in Ephesians was written, and it's talking about masters and slaves, these people were now sitting together, masters and slaves, at the at the same table wow. in yeah. the gospel Man. as in one body. And Paul did not come against the institution. He went to the heart of the issue, which was depravity. Wow. What an amazing thing. And so, Mark, I want to ask you a question. Why does it seem that this issue of racism is the unpardonable sin in this day and age? Yeah, that, that's that's a really good question. It's probably a multifaceted answer to that, um, but I think in part of it is is that it's well from, from the again if you deal with the secular first and then into the church, I think that racism is something that's been brought up even more so over the last several years, especially when President Barack Obama was in office. He started to make a lot of issues about race. I think it was a lot of politics. It was a political advantage, uh, and I think within the church, I think we've we've embraced that so as to be sensitive. Uh, in some way, to those who may feel like uh, you know that they've been that they're oppressed in some sense, I think it's more of a sensitivity. I think they mean well within the church. In other words, these individuals who have fallen into this, but I think it started on the outside of the church, and especially, and has pushed its way in now as a means of being sensitive to those who are caught up in this. And there's a lot more. I realize. I'm- so, Mark, we're putting you on the spot, but we're asking you these questions because we really, you know, we're here and we all agree. And I, but we want to bring an outside perspective. Look. So, so, so we're all one in Christ. Yes. Yeah. That's the solution, right? That's the solution. That's, that's what, it. That tears down all the barriers. The gospel tears down every barrier of race, 
um, ethnicity, whatever it is, it's, it tears it down. So do you see this pervasive, massive, many churches, this racial ambiguity? No. No, I, and I can say, like I said, in, in, when I preached about this topic at, at my church, um, I did it uh, at a luncheon. We had a special service, and I wanted to address this issue. I had to preface it and even probably repeat a few times to say, look, th- this has nothing to do with anything that we're going through. I'm only saying this because this is something that's starting to rise in our culture mm. and especially in the life of the church. And you're going to hear about this, but please understand that I don't see any of this going on in yeah. our church uh, at all. And so we hear a lot of people telling us that there's this racial epidemic going on in the churches. And so I think we need to start asking them where. We need to ask these people who are telling like Thabiti and all these people in these leaderships, okay, time out. You've been saying this for a while. Can you please show us where this is going on? And get, and, 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 and then address those specific people exactly. and deal with that issue. Exactly. So, so and then it's going to eradicate. Exactly. You're saying that if you just repeat it over and over Matthew again, that, that, that's not sufficient if we but just no, say many what churches. What does Matthew 18 say? If your brother sins against you, Go on the internet and tell the world there's a problem with massive sin because my brother sinned against me? Yeah. No. It's you go to him alone. Yeah. So if Thabiti feels like there's white people who are being racist, he needs to confront them. Yeah. Then he needs to, if they don't listen, bring two or three who can hear it out and say, wait a second, Thabiti. He's not guilty of racism. And then cast them out of yeah. the church. And if the church agrees, then cast them out. But we don't just say there's this big problem out there without naming names. Al Mohler said there's a massive problem with white racial superiority in the church. And I say this publicly, Al Mohler needs to repent because he just slandered yeah. the bride of Christ by Amen. saying that. Amen. Where, where is, and where's the example? Tell him, like you said. He's got to give, give some examples. Give some examples. Where is, Who? We're giving examples of the, of the ones that we disagree with. And exactly. we're playing what they're saying yeah. and we're letting them have their forefront and we're saying what it is biblically against. We're not just throwing it out there. There's a bunch of pastors who are, you know, we're not doing that. If you really want to feel it, let's go. Are you saying there's 50 million and we can't do it systematically? Because that's, that's not what the Bible's saying. The Bible's saying individually, person to person. And it seems like what's going on here is everyone wants their pound of flesh. Well, what about what happened back then? I want justice. Well, do we really want justice? I don't want justice because I deserve hell. I want mercy. I I want mercy. I need mercy. Do you really think that slave owners are going to get away with anything? No, No. they definitely did not. Do you think that they're going to stand before God and get away those who abused people and didn't repent? Now, if they've repented and they're in Christ... Jesus paid for those sins. The Apostle Paul, did he not abuse and murder Christians? Exactly. And yet we read his word. And so what would they say to Paul? Paul, you have to go back. You know, maybe your grandfather did the same thing. So this whole thing is another gospel. They would have to, they would have charged Paul in front of every book, in front of Romans, in front of Ephesians. Make sure you, you, you repent of your past (laughs) (laughs) and then do it. But really, so, so basically this is another gospel. Right, it's not the gospel of grace that forgives us freely in Christ. Right, all my sins, He will take my sins and He will throw them into the depths of the sea. Right, to remember them no more. I will remember their sins no more, except for racism. Okay. No, it no. doesn't say that. that. You got to repent of every day. Yeah, there is therefore no condemnation for Amen. them that are in Christ Jesus. Let me just uh, offer four points of application. Three that have come from Vodi Bakum. Um, number one, clarity. Does the term social justice offer the most clarity? Absolutely not. We have biblical justice and biblical injustice. 
toxicity. It's a it's toxic terminology. When you look at prominent social justice groups and the issues they're fighting for, same-sex marriage, abortion, realize the social justice warriors are hitching their wagon to all of this. It's by definition div- divisive. Necessity. Is it necessary for Christians to use the term, the term social justice to communicate our message? No. Not at no. all. And reality. We have to look to the God of all justice and realize... What Paul wrote unlocked Luther's mind, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. You can trust the God that Daniel says changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Would you trust the Lord of the earth to do that which is right? And if you need to repent of sin, if you've had racism in your heart right now, then you need to repent of it. And if you are a proponent of saying that certain Christians, white Christians, need to repent of something they didn't even commit, then that's a problem. You need to repent of that as well. So repentance is the only answer. The gospel is the only answer. And we must view these things through a biblical worldview. And the only tool that we need is the scriptures. Thank you for taking this time to stop and think about it. If you would like to contact us, please email us at stopandthinkcrew at gmail.com. You could also visit our website at www.stopandthinkpodcast.com. This podcast is listener-supported by generous people like you. You can give a tax-deductible donation at our affiliate ministry at www.soulfishyministries.org and click on our donate link to give securely through PayPal. Thank you for listening to Stop and Think About It.